Hey folks, thanks for joining us here uh, at Liberty Grace Online. I want to thank you for your continued support of the ministry and pray that you would continue to invest in what it is that we're doing here. Um, Some kind of exciting news. We're going to begin the two-service system again starting March the 14th here at Liberty in person. We've been in person at 10 o'clock so far for the last few weeks, but we're going to do a 9 a.m. service, and that is a mask optional, totally optional, and then a 10-15 service, and at 10-15 there will be child care, and it will be a mask preferred until you're seated service, so that if you feel comfortable wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, just please enjoy coming here, whether 9 o'clock or 10.15, and uh, we would love to see you. Look forward to having the opportunity to spend time with you, and uh, thank you again for your support of what we're doing. We have been in the middle of this series, uh, Transformational Faith. We've been looking at people's lives and, and all kinds of individuals and how God works and moves through so many different ways. Today, I want to look at kind of a people group, all right, an entire thing. They've kind of been in the foreground uh, of most of these stories. There's been an individual out there in front, but they've been right there close by, those that have been influenced by some of the teachings of Jesus and uh, his disciples. So we're going to look at the book of Acts today. Uh, We're going to be starting in chapter 2, if you want to go ahead and turn there, You're going to see that in the beginning of the book of Acts, Jesus spends time after his resurrection, 40 days or so here on earth with his disciples, spends time instructing them on what they are to do when he leaves. He spends time with them to to reaffirm their commitment, to to reassure them that he has uh, been resurrected in bodily form, all of those things he does over the 40 days. And then he instructs them to go and wait for the gift that God will bring to them, the Holy Spirit, And go to Jerusalem and wait for that. And so when Jesus ascends into heaven, he returns to his father. He tells his disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for this gift from God. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, that's where we're going to pick up that story. His disciples have gone to Jerusalem. And in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem. God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd gathered in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? So God 
accepts Jesus's sacrifice on our behalf and then Jesus has instructed the disciples to wait for the gift from God to complete what it is that is going to happen and this experience happens to the disciples. The Holy Spirit visually, physically uh, comes upon them and they are transformed immediately, this group of disciples, into men that can speak Many different languages. So they, they go out and, and whether or not, this is, an, this is a miraculous situation. First of all, whether or not the men actually were speaking in the languages or as it says, each were heard in their own language. However God did it, it was an amazing thing that, that the truth of the gospel would be communicated by whatever means by whatever language, to whoever needs to hear it. And that's a pretty critical piece of what we want to talk about today. That God uses this miraculous event to impact the, the civilized world. There were people in Jerusalem from every nation under heaven, it says. There were God-fearing Jews that had come there to worship, to sacrifice because of the, the, the day of Pentecost, all of these things going on inside of Jerusalem. There were people from all over the civilized world. And, and as you read through chapter two there, you get an idea of some of the places they were from. There's a list of the, the cities, the regions that these folks came from. And it's in an entirety, the, the civilized world at that time. And they look at this group, this miraculous event, and aren't these all Galileans? They know there's something special going on, that these men shouldn't be able to speak all these languages, that God is trying to communicate something very specific to them. And they gather in bewilderment when this event happens, when God uses something miraculous or a way to get people's attention, he draws a crowd. And this crowd of people from all over the world is already in Jerusalem. They draw together. Peter kind of draws them in and, and he is going to be the spokesperson to this large group of people. Peter tells the story of Jesus. He tells them specifically from beginning to end what God has been doing with the Jews up to this point and now with what Jesus has done and how things have changed and what God wants them to do with Jesus. He ends with the truth of who Jesus is. And so this large group witnessing this miraculous event surrounding Peter now, Peter tells them the story of how God has been orchestrating this day from the beginning of time. And he ends with this truth in verse 36 of chapter two. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this, that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit 
The promise is for you, your children, for all who are far off, and for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourself from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to the number that day. Now, this miraculous event of, of God using language to unite people around the truth of God, and then Peter laying it out saying specifically, this Jesus, whom you know has been crucified, God is now using and will make the Lord and Messiah. He has already done that. He's made him the Lord of this world and your Messiah. Upon hearing that, these folks, these, these God-fearing Jews, those who had been following the law and, and were still not sure what to do with Jesus, their hearts are broken. They're cut to the heart, it says, by what Peter has delivered to them. They've seen this event. They've listened to Peter. They now understand that Jesus is Lord and Messiah. And all they want to know is, what is it that we have to do now? So last week we talked about the fact that, that when Jesus calls, when you hear it in your heart, that follow me, that's what all of these folks were hearing that day from Peter and this miraculous event that was happening inside of Jerusalem. 3,000 people that day reacted with a heartfelt reaction to what God was doing and had done through Jesus and his disciples. The message of forgiveness and hope. There was a call to repent and obey that was key. This is something that, that maybe it, it's a, an unspoken thing in churches too often that there is an opportunity for you, no matter where you are, right, to repent from whatever it is that you've been doing that has been contrary to God's will, to repent from it, to walk away from it, and return back to obedience and follow Jesus. And that's what, that's what God was doing with Peter in this moment. He broke the hearts of these God-fearing Jews, and when asked, Peter said, you just need to repent and obey. Go be baptized. Do the things that, that mark you as a believer. And so 3,000 people come to know Jesus that day as Lord and Messiah. They start to form these groups. As you read through the rest of Acts chapter 2, you see that they met in people's homes, that they were devoted to the apostles' teachings. They were eating together, they were living together, they were studying the word together, they were doing these things that, that would bring glory and honor to God that, that, that we wanna be about as today's modern day church as well. They formed these groups to study, pray, eat, and live life together, and their number and their influence continued to grow. As they met in these homes and studied the apostles' teachers, they became teachings, they became bolder and, and more uh, evangelistic, which is a specific niche inside of the Christian world that we fit into, that, that we desire to see others come to know Christ, that we want to share our faith. 
As these numbers grew, though, however, the religious leaders that had already crucified Jesus, right, still were taking notice. And this goes back to the story of Saul that we talked about a couple of weeks ago. These religious leaders grab hold of a couple of zealots, a couple of men like Saul and others to break up what has been done. They're starting in Jerusalem with these house churches and this, this thousands of people that have come to know Jesus. Something has to be done in, in order to keep control inside of this religious community, according to the religious leaders of the day. And so they have this man named Saul, right? And, and we know his story. He was going to begin to persecute this group of people. And so this people group is who we're going to follow through. This group of new believers in Jesus. And that's who Paul was persecuting in the, in the other stories that we've covered already. So if we revisit chapter 8 now in Acts, we can see both of these groups together. In Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3, Saul had approved of their killing him. Remember, Stephen has been stoned, a man that was just telling the story of Jesus, a man that was one of these believers in the early church, one that believed what Peter's message was, that Jesus was Lord and Messiah, and Saul kills him. His, he has him killed. And on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church of Jerusalem. And all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned him deeply. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And so now you see a more complete picture because these 3,000 people that witnessed what happened with the disciples and the effect of the Holy Spirit communicating in their own languages, committing to Jesus as Lord and Messiah, these thousands of people began to do what the apostles said, follow their teaching, be discipled, meeting in homes, and along come the religious leaders, just like they had already done to Jesus. They thought they had killed the movement with Jesus. When they killed Jesus, they thought it was over. They didn't know that he would raise from the dead. They didn't believe it, and that he would spend 40 days with his disciples preparing them for this next step. So as these group of believers meet in their homes, Saul shows up and goes from house to house because that's where they were meeting. They were still being persecuted. This persecution breaks out and many of them actually leave Jerusalem. Now, some of them, because they were already there just doing some things for for. Uh, yearly sacrifices, things like that. But this persecution breaks out and people are scattered back to their original places of, of residence where they go back home to where they belong, to their common ancestry, their commonalities, their cultures, their, their places of, of comfort. 
This persecution scatters these people. All of those that had heard and believed now have to travel back to where they came from. The amazing thing about it is that God brought these people into Jerusalem to hear the message of Jesus from Peter. They study with the disciples for a period of time. They are discipled. They are led. They have been given the basic knowledge of who Jesus is. And then persecution comes in Jerusalem and they're gone. But God uses that persecution to spread the gospel, to spread the truth to the known world at that time. Now these believers were taking the truth of Jesus with them. Okay? Now this would have all been happening as Saul was continuing his persecution and we know what happens when Jesus intersects his life and changes Saul's mind and he becomes Paul later in some of these these are just names that that he goes by but he is the man then that that leads the revival among the Gentiles. In Acts chapter 11, we pick up what happens as these men and women are scattered back to their homes. Acts chapter 11, verses 19 to 24. Now, those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch. They were spreading the word only among the Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. News of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. And when he arrived, he saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, and he was glad and encouraged them all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. So the amazing thing about this situation, this period of history, is that, yes, there was this amazing, miraculous beginning at, at Jerusalem. God had drawn people from all over the place to there to see what was going to happen. Then he allowed the persecution to happen and scatter the people. And in the midst of all this, Paul also gets saved by his interaction with Jesus as well. So the man that initiates God's plan from the, the religious leading side is actually responsible for spreading the gospel. He already had done it. And, and so when he becomes an apostle to the Gentiles and spends his time planting churches, He's going to see people that it was by his hand that they were actually sent because he was persecuting them and scared them out of Jerusalem. And these people go and we see this, this change that, that God sends these believers around the world with the seeds of grace. 
that that the message of grace is now going to be spread. And it says specifically they were doing work among the Jews. And then there were others also that decided, man, we got to tell everybody about this. And they started to tell the Greeks and to bring a great number of people to the Lord. The scope of grace is becoming more clear now that the whole world is, is open to grace and to mercy. It was at that point that, that they told Peter's message again. And, and if you remember what Peter's message was, it was very clear when he said, it's for you, for your children, for those who are far off, no matter where you have been or what you have done, it is for everyone whom the Lord calls. Everyone that Jesus says, follow me. Peter has now spread the gospel throughout the whole world with the help of Saul persecuting the church in Jerusalem. They have spread the message to the known world. It's a pivot uh, of, of incredible proportions. The pivot of the inclusion of all men, that grace is for everyone. And this begins to spread throughout the civilized world. It's an amazing time in history to see what happened. Go down one more verse with me in chapter 11, verses 25 to 26. When Barnabas then went to Tarsus, to look for Saul, because now remember, Saul had become a believer. He was planting churches. He was the guy that, that, that God spoke to directly. And so Barnabas is going to look for him and saying, you got to come to Antioch. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. And for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. This group of believers that had, that had become believers in Jerusalem and then were scattered, this church that was set up in Antioch sometime after 35 AD, after Paul's conversion, they were first called Christians in this moment. The way that we identify ourselves in today's language, this is where it started. As they met in homes and, and they continued to study and learn more about the apostles' teachings, they spent a year with Barnabas and Saul just learning. I'm sure that they did it much the way they had in Jerusalem where they opened their homes, they ate together, they studied the word, they prayed together, and they became more and more uh, unified in life together as they celebrated what God had done in their lives. The crazy thing about this is this, this number of thousands of people, right? We have 3,000 we know about in Jerusalem. They're scattered. It says that Barnabas himself brings a great number of people to the Lord. They're, they're probably into the tens of thousands possibly now, just five years maybe after Jesus' death. These numbers in the thousands 
are, are growing and, and gaining attention among the religious leaders of the Jews, but also inside of the Roman occupation. Uh, the crazy thing is that it was still illegal and you, the persecution still was happening to Christians. So until 313 or so AD, the Christian church was persecuted. So you're talking for 275 years, these folks probably lived in fear and were persecuted not only by the, the religious authorities of the Jews, but also not permitted to publicly to, to publicly worship Jesus inside of the Roman world. It wasn't until Constantine legalized Christianity in 313 that, that these folks could, could be unfettered and unpersecuted. They did all that they did for 275 years, even while being persecuted. These house churches, these times that, that people would spend together studying the apostles' It was not a recognized religion inside of the world that they lived in. It wasn't legal. <laughs> the crazy thing is when you do, when you extrapolate out what has happened in our world because of that one moment in time in Acts chapter two, when you see those 3,000 people repent and obey what it was that God did with those people. Now, as we sit here today in, in terms of numbers, we can gather numbers uh, throughout our world. I don't think we have as accurate a number as we need or, or would like to have per se, but there's about 2.3 billion estimated Christians in our world today. 2.3 billion, 31% of the world's population. And, and we have no way of knowing for sure because there are still places in our world like China where you're not allowed to, to openly have a Bible or to study the Word of God or to be a Christian. And so we don't really know. We know the numbers are growing there inside of China, even despite the, the persecution. But 2.3 billion is a pretty big number, 31% of the world's population. And if you think about it, it all goes back to Jesus, right? As Jesus walked along the beach and said to a couple of fishermen, follow me. As he walks to the tax collector and he says, follow me. And, and it grows. Jesus is now accompanied by his 12 disciples as he's called them to follow. And then as he leaves, his disciples teach people in Jerusalem. And Peter brings 3,000 people to an understanding of who Jesus is in one day. That number from Jesus to the 12 to 3,000, to a great number of people. At some point inside of the Roman world, around 380 AD, about 70 years after it was legalized, 10% or more of the Roman, uh, the Roman uh, civilized area were Christians. 
So, so 10% of the, of the Roman government, the Roman, uh, I don't know what word to use, the, the Roman occupation, that Roman world, 10% of them were Christians by 380 AD. And now we stand at 2.3 billion people identified as those who follow the teachings of Christ. Now, there are others inside of that, and we can parse that out some other day. But, but to think that Jesus had influence on those 12 men, those 12 men on 3,000 in one day, now, 2,000 years later, 2.3 billion people. Folks, that is an amazing story in which the entire world has been transformed. It's been changed and it's something that we have to understand and, and be accountable for in our own everyday lives. That we understand what God has done from, from the beginning of time until Jesus and then as Jesus led his 12 and his 12 granted uh, were used to, to reach the world, we now have that opportunity that we are part of that group that Peter talked about, that it's for us, our children, for those who are far off, for all those whom the Lord calls. When you respond to that call, you're part of what God has been doing in our world to transform it for his benefit and his good. I want to read you the vision and the mission statement for our church here at Liberty Grace, because I want you to understand why it is that, that I'm so uh, focused on these things that, that we talk about transforming lives, because it is, it is part of what we get to do. And so our vision here is to clearly demonstrate by our lives the belief that everything we have is from him that what we get to do is through him and that all of the glory is to him. That in everyday life, that we clearly demonstrate just as these believers did, as they got together in these homes and they ate and they studied and they lived together, that we demonstrate that we, everything we have is from him, what we get to do is through him, and all of the glory should be given back to him. The mission, how do we do it? That, if, that's the, if that's the vision that we want to see transform our homes, transform our communities, how do we do it? We pursue Jesus by making disciples. And we use spiritual community. So we, so we make disciples that are reconciled to God and growing in a spiritual community through the use of Sunday morning celebrations. What happens here is just one piece of it. Sunday morning celebration, the small group connection, right? In your home with the, with the people who recognize the Lord and Savior. Small group connection and then service for the community. We want to know what you're doing in a community that we can give glory back to God for, that everything we do in our life 
is from him, through him, and to him, that we get together on Sunday mornings to celebrate what he's done, that we meet in small groups to, to encourage one another, to study the word, to pray together, to, to live life together in a supportive, growing spiritual community. And then we take these communities, these small groups, and we go out into our world and we serve others just like Jesus did because he came to serve, not to be served. It's critical that we understand that, that we get to be a part of what God has been doing throughout all of the world, that there's still transformation that can happen. It's an amazing thing that 2.3 billion people on earth are believers, 30% of the world's population, but that means that 70% of the world say they don't know Jesus, that they're not a Christian. 70% of our world says that. My encouragement for you this week as you think about what the Christians, as they were called first at Antioch, were about, as they met together in their homes and they lived life together, I want you to, to revisit all that you've had to go through in this last year. Yes, you, we've been suffering, we've been locked up in our homes, whatever it is that, that you feel right now. And I want you to take that tension and I want you to focus it on what Jesus is doing. Focus it on Jesus and don't let your circumstances distract you from living life like you believe that everything is from him and through him and to him. And to God be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Focus on Jesus. Don't let your, dis your circumstances distract you. We have an amazing heritage of transformation. We get to be a part of it. What we get to do on a daily basis is represent our Lord and Savior. I pray that that encourages you and I wanna pray for you right now for strength and for guidance and for focus on Jesus. Father, we have watched this play out as we read your word and we can picture it, we can see what it is that you've been doing from, from giving your son to death on a cross and raising him to life to these 12 men being so caught up in and, and sold out by, by living their life for you. Lord, thousands of people and now billions of people have come to know you. Lord, I thank you for that heritage. I pray that we don't take it for granted. I pray that we become part of it, that we would continue to leverage what it is that you give us on a daily basis for your glory, Lord, that you would use us in a way that is, that is powerful, that we would be able to continue to transform our hearts to be more like you. And as we do, our community is transformed more like you. Lord, I pray that you connect us together as this early church was, that we would continue to meet one another and we'd continue to spend time studying your word and living life together. Thank you for giving us that kind of support structure, for laying it out here, even in the book of Acts, for us to see that it's been your plan from the beginning. Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us strength and focus on your son and what he's done. Thank you, Father, for loving us. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.